Mac Power Users, Episode 134, Mac Utilities. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie. You know, we're coming off our Alfred show, which is one of my favorite system utilities, and we get a lot of email from people saying about, oh, you know, you guys talk about great utilities, and I spend a lot of money, and so we just kind of thought we might build on that. Yeah. Well, you know, we thought we'd talk about it, some of our favorite utilities that that doesn't get a lot of airtime, and uh, stuff that can help you make your Mac more efficient and help you get your work done. And So we, we yeah. started this list. And There's a lot of them. Yeah, there's a lot of them. So <laughs> I guess we just start at the beginning, right? Yeah, and and I guess we should say this is this is not going to be a deep dive. I mean, w- we could probably do a whole show on any one of these subsections that we're going to cover, and and maybe we will later. Uh, so tell us if there's specific points that you're interested in. This is designed to give you a broad overview, and we're going to stick links to all of these in the show notes. And some of these we have done entire shows on, and some of these we may never cover again. So that we're, we're going to try to kind of attack this topic and give you as much information as we can without going overboard. And so strap in, strap in, charge up your iTunes card, and let's go. Yeah. All right. So the first category, and trying to kind of somewhat give these, these categories, is, is I kind of put together a, pa- a category of maintenance and security, which you don't really think that you have to do that much on the Mac, but... Uh, you know, it, it's nice to keep things clean, tidy, and organized and, and working well. And I want to talk about a new app first that I picked up recently as part of the Mac Heist bundle. And that is Clean My Mac 2. And I have mixed thoughts about these types of utilities. And basically what Clean My Mac is, is it's one of these multi-purpose utilities that will go through and do, the first thing, it's got a big red scan button or blue scan button, and will do an analysis of your system. And it will, you know, clean all of your cache files, and it will, you know, volunteer to strip out the unused language files that can save a bunch of space and remove the universal binaries. And those two things in particular are one of the things that made me nervous about it. And it will remove duplicates from your iPhoto library, and it will search and see what um, if, if you have kind of any any orphaned preferenced files, and it will help you see if you've got any login items that you really aren't using because maybe those applications aren't on your Mac. And it will just it, you know it's got a, a, about a dozen different categories of things that it looks for, and it will tell you where you can save space on your Mac. It looks for old I, iOS updates because every time you restore your iPhone, iTunes will download a new one. And it found on first pass of my MacBook Air about 16 gigabytes of data that it could remove, which is not an insignificant amount of stuff for a MacBook Air that only has 256 gigabyte SSD on it. And I, you know, sent out a couple of tweets. Is this safe? Um, I was particularly nervous about is this going to break code signing? Is, you know, if you remove kind of the wrong files, especially with the localizations and the universal binaries, you can break things. I did some research on the Clean My Mac website. Everybody who responded back to me was pretty universally happy with it, that they'd done a lot of testing and that, you know, this app was very careful and didn't remove the wrong things to cause a problem. And there's even a little checkbox in the preferences that says ignore code signed applications so you don't break code signing. So I made sure that I had my backups pretty good and um, I clicked the, the big blue button and nothing bad happened. And I cleaned off almost 17 gigs worth of stuff from my hard drive. Yeah, this is an interesting app. The um, you know, there's been a series of these over the years, and it seems to me that 
these utilities were a lot more important even just three or four years ago. Um, I, it's been my impression that as Mac OS X has matured in the last few iterations, the system itself has gotten so good at taking care of its own maintenance that there's very little of this stuff you need to do hands-on as much. I mean, it used to be that if you didn't run apps like this, things would start to slow down, you know, kind of the PC mentality. And I don't think that's as big of a deal anymore. But, and as a result, you know, it seemed like the space has kind of emptied out. There was Onyx for the longest time, and Onyx is still out there. They, it's a free application. Onyx it's, is actually on my list. Yeah, it's not real, you know, it's not real pretty. Uh, but it's free and it goes through and gives you a whole bunch of options to uh, to run system maintenance. And, and in a lot of ways, these applications are putting a user interface on stuff that's done in the terminal. Um, and then there was Cocktail, which is the paid for kind of the pretty app. And then uh, I, like you, I bought this, too. I just bought this new um, this new bundle. You know, for ten bucks, you got a bunch of these things. So I, I took this one down, and like you, uh, when I opened it up, it, it found nine gigs of stuff on you know the the hard drive that I'm constantly at war with, and I haven't pushed the button yet. I want to look into it a little deeper, but it's it's promising to hear that you didn't have any problems. Um, the one thing that I found particularly interesting was the ability to clean out an iPhoto and I think an Aperture Light uh, uh, library as well. And you'll you'll have to help me with the the Aperture part because I don't use Aperture. But when you make any kind of edits in iPhoto, for the last couple of versions of iPhoto, iPhoto keeps multiple versions of a photo so that you can always revert back to previous versions. And that's a really good thing. That's something that I want it to keep multiple versions, but your iPhoto library can balloon up to be quite large after a while. And there are some edits that you're never going to undo. So for example, if you're taking a photo and it's rotated at a 90 degree angle because you turned your camera sideways to get a portrait or a landscape photo, and the first thing you do is you rotate that photo, you know, 90 or 180 or whatever degrees, you are almost never going to want to revert back to the original photo. Or if you do, it's not a big deal. You just hit the little rotate button. So you can go into Clean My Mac and set some preferences of it's okay delete to delete the original photo, but only under these circumstances, only if the only edit that's been done to this particular photo is it's been rotated, or only if the only edit that's been done is it's been rotated or red eyes have been removed. And, the, and so you can pick some defaults of things that you're not likely to want to revert back to. And then it will even show you a preview of, of, of okay, this is the photo that I'm deleting, and these this is the photo that you're keeping. So you can look at them side by side and say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm okay with deleting this one that's that's rotated at the wrong angle. Yeah. And that was the bulk, one of the, the bulk of, of my savings came from from there. Well, it, I've just opened it, you know, as we've been talking and as I've been preparing for the show, and I don't see um, an aperture setting yet, but I haven't dug into it deep enough, so I shouldn't shouldn't determine that. It's an interesting app, though. Um, so usually it's $40. Right now it's $10 as this show goes live, but it's only going to be for a couple of days, and it's part of this Mac Heist Nano bundle. So if you're listening to it promptly, you may want to go just spend 10 bucks and get this and some other cool apps that we're going to talk about that are in that bundle and uh, and give it a whirl. If not, uh, $40, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm just looking at their website. I don't see any mention of Aperture, so it, it looks like it's just an iPhoto cleanup. Yeah. Um, That's an interesting one, though. So it is called 
clean my Mac too. Uh, and one thing about it is it looks really nice. I mean, in terms of interface and, you know, it, it solves a problem that we've always had with these utilities where they're just really ugly. And this one is not, they uh, spend some time on the interface. Yeah. And, and you mentioned one of my other favorites. And so I won't go into a lot of detail on it, but that's, that's Onyx. And and Onyx and Clean My Mac do some of the same things in terms of of cleaning cache files, but Onyx will do some other things that Clean My Mac won't. And Onyx is free, so it's a it's a nice one to add to your toolbox. But it will do things like repairing permissions and repairing user level specific permissions, which is not the permission level repair that you get when you just click repair permissions in system utilities or a disk utility. Um, and it will do things like run those regular maintenance scripts and um, I'm not looking at it right now. I probably should. Um, but um, repair your launch databases, which is when you when you go to open a file or you right-click and you say open in and you see like 40 different copies of Skitch. And you, you, that, that's kind of what happened is your, your launch services database has gotten uh, mucked up a bit and it will, will clean those things up. So Onyx is another good one that, that I keep in my toolbox and it's free. It just Again, with all these system utilities, you, you want to make sure that you, you have a good backup and that you're running the latest, in my opinion, non-beta version of these of these utilities. Yeah, and Onyx in particular can get you in trouble because it can do some real deep system stuff. It's made by Titanium Software. They have another application called Maintenance, which is kind of a lighter version that does basic system maintenance like cleaning system caches and you know rebuilding launch services and things like that. And it's just a one little window. You open it and you tap execute and it goes. And that's when I would also recommend checking out because if you don't want to get into the depth of Onyx uh, and you want something a little bit safer, this is by the same people. It, it basically runs the same scripts underneath in your terminal, but um, it's a little less likely to get you in trouble. And we should also talk a little bit about, you know, system caches are there for a reason. This isn't something that you want to constantly be cleaning, 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 cleaning every day it's really only something that you want to go in and do if you have a problem. I mean, these caches are there to help your Mac perform, to help it boot faster and to help it have that information available to easily access so that it doesn't have to go rebuild that information. Now, it will rebuild the caches. Sometimes there are things in those caches that that can get corrupt and sometimes they need to be cleaned out. But using a utility like Onyx or using a utility like Clean My Mac or Cocktail, which is another one of these utilities that has a nice, elegant user interface that will let you do all those things, it's not something that you want to be doing every day. And I don't really even think it's something that you need to necessarily be doing as maybe preventative maintenance, although you might disagree. No, I would agree with you that you shouldn't do it. And boy, that was really complicated, wasn't it? I just started going down something there. Okay. All right. I will agree with Katie that you should not be cleaning caches often. It's something that you do when something breaks. So what is a cache? Let's say you go to maxsparky.com. There's a little graphic there of a little Mac with a lightning bolt on it. Um, normally, if you didn't have a cache, every time you'd go to that website, it would go to the internet and download that image and have to reload it. So all the time it takes to go to the internet, pull it down, save it and reload it, uh, takes time for you. Well, if you go there frequently, your Safari or your Chrome cache is going to keep that image. And so as soon as you go to the website, it says, oh, we need that cute little picture with the Mac and the lightning bolt. Oh, I've got it right here in the cache. Just load it here. You don't have to go to the internet for that. And, you know, do that times a million. And that's what's going on with caches on your computer. It's font files, it's images, it's, it's a lot of things. And whenever you clean the cache, you're flushing all that stuff out of your Mac. 
which means that for the first time you go back to the Max Sparky site, it's going to have to go and pull that down again. So you will notice the system kind of slow down a bit after you clean out caches. But um, uh, it also can help make your system more efficient if it rebuilds those caches. So I think fonts are one of the most common areas where this becomes a problem, where uh, in my experience, sometimes my applications just start acting really weird and they're applications that are font heavy. And if I clean out my font caches, it will fix the problem. Yeah. All right. What else is on your utility list? Um, we talked to, we already talked about maintenance, which is a good option to Onyx. Then the other one is cocktail, which is a paid for version of Onyx. And it's got more, I guess, whizzy stuff in the user interface. I bought that Several years ago, I went to download it in preparation for today's show. And since Mountain Line has come out, my old license doesn't apply anymore. And um, I didn't buy an up- upgrade for it, you know, just to prepare for the show because I like Onyx is good enough. Um, but Cocktail is another one to look at if you're interested in it. Yeah. Um, okay. An- another utility that I use quite a bit, and this one is paid and it can get expensive. It starts at $99. And that one is Drive Genius. Do you have much experience using that? Oh yeah, that's um, it's an amazing app. <laughs> if you have a drive failure, uh, so what it does is, uh, you know, your drive has a directory. It's kind of the map of your hard drive, and and the directory says, okay, if you want to find the file that you know, the word file about kumquats, it's right here on your drive. This is where you go to find it. And occasionally, the the directory and the actual drive get out of whack somehow. So the drive doesn't know where to go to find the file. What drive genius does is it, it reverse builds the map. So it will look at the entire contents of your drive and says the word file about kumquats is at sector zero, zero, zero two. And then it'll tell the directory that. So then you'll have an absolutely rock solid directory. So if the drive starts going completely wonky and you run drive genius, it can repair your directory in a way that I've never seen any other app do. Pretty sure the kumquats file is in sector zero, zero one. Yeah. Mind. Cause I use it so often. <laughs> Never mind. Um, yeah, but it will do some other things in, in addition to that. It will, it will do a, a bit by bit scan of your drive and do an integrity check to let you know, yeah, is is this drive likely to be one that's that's going bad? It's it's a good way to, um, yeah, c- kind of do some stress testing of a new drive if that's something that you like to do before you 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 use a new drive to tell you if you've got some bad blocks on a drive. It's got some cloning utilities, although I've got other utilities that I use from cloning. Um, it also has some of these drive slim features like removing localizations and large files. So it's got some of those other features that we talked about that, that a tool like Clean My Mac also has. Um, and then it, it the repair feature, I think, is what you were talking about, where it will go through and rebuild those drive directories. So it kind of will, will give you a, an idea of, is is this a drive that, that truly has a hardware issue or or is this just a directory problem with a drive? It it can do a defrag, but defrags are something that are you do not want to do on a solid state drive. So I think that's becoming less and less important now. You know, I've always questioned whether you needed to do a defrag on a Mac in general. Um, it just seems to me that it's it's um it's an old Windows PC thing. I'm not even sure if you need to do it on Windows anymore. I haven't kept up with that technology, but uh, it used to be a definite problem. If you're running a Windows computer, if you ran a defrag, the, the system ran better. And the idea behind defrag, if you've never heard of it before, is the files on your 
computer's hard drive get get separated. So like the first three sectors of it will be in the front of the drive and the last seven will be at the back of the drive. So the physical drive head and the, you know, the physical drives would have to lift after sector three and then move somewhere else and, and drop for sector four. And that would slow everything down and defragmentation would combine them. So it was more efficient. Um, with an SSD, the problem is you are re, you know, the process of defragging is lifting all the data off your drive and, and replacing it in a better order. Well, that's just another read, write sequence on your SSD. And the more of those you do, the sooner it's going to die. So running defrag software isn't going to help you very much. And since there's no physical uh, head to lift, like an old record player to lift and move on over the data, the benefits of defragmentation don't really make a lot of sense either. So like you said, I think it's becoming less and less a problem, but uh, where was I going with this? Well, I, I just don't think it's ever really been much of an issue. I'm going to agree that it's not much of an issue. I will tell you, I've had situations where defragging a traditional hard drive has helped. The Mac will do some of this in the background, or at least it would with the traditional hard drive in, in terms of any file, I think it was over 10 gigs or any, I might have that backwards, but the Mac would, would do some system maintenance in the background and some defragging in order to, to take care of itself. But I, I've had situations where defrag has has definitely helped in drives that were particularly fragmented. So I wouldn't discount it completely. Again, this is an area where you want to have good, good backups because this is one of those things that if something goes, a, there's a little tiny hiccup in the middle of it, really bad things will happen. Yeah. Um, the other thing that Drive Genius does that I have used before is it offers you a nice um, GUI interface to live repartition a drive without having to completely erase it. And that is also extremely dangerous in terms of if there's a little hiccup, bad things will happen. Um, but if it goes well, it, it goes well. You know, the last time I used Drive Genius was Snow Leopard, and it was my sister in law's computer where the drive just went nutty. And I did the, I forget what the name of the process is, but it was what I was explaining earlier where it looks at the drive contents and rebuilds the directory. Yeah. And I was, I was such a hero for that. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of those things that it's good to have in your toolbox. Yeah, especially if you're the guy or the gal in the family that helps everybody when their computers break, this will this will be helpful. Yeah, one of the other utilities I I have on my Mac that um, I, you know it's it's not really a system maintenance utility per se, but I, I think it falls more in this category than it does any other category that we're going to have in this show is antivirus. And I don't regularly run antivirus on a Mac. I don't have an antivirus scanner that is, um, you know, always on in the background scanning. I personally feel safe enough that my browsing habits and such are, are that I'm I'm not very high risk and I don't engage in a lot of high risk behavior. And I'm I feel that I'm wise enough and and you know. Uh, how do I say this without um, that? I'm careful enough and up to date on kind of some of uh, you know the latest Mac security issues to to be careful of what's going out there. But I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea for everybody to have access to an antivirus or for certain people to have antivirus running on their machines. Um, I'll tell you, I've installed antivirus that that has a, a background agent on my grandparents' Mac because he will click on anything that anybody sends him, no matter what you tell him, um, and bad things can happen. So mine of choice is ClamXAV, and there are a couple of different versions. I think there's a version that is still in the, the Mac App Store, and David, I don't know if you can check on that while I'm 
talking and, and let me know if it's still there. Um, but the version that I'm going to put in the show notes is the direct download version. The version that was in the Mac App Store because it was sandbox could only only do um, an on-demand scan. It would do an on-demand scan of your hard drive, and if it found anything, you could take action on it. The version, which may be fine, and it's certainly fine for how I use it. The version that's available, um, direct download from their, their website, has something that's called the Century, where you can set it to monitor either your entire hard drive or a specific folder, like say your downloads folder or your desktop folder, where it will scan um, any anything that gets added to that folder or any drive that's attached to it. So for example, when you stick in a USB flash drive, it will scan that for any antiviruses. And why you might do this, yeah, there there are some Mac malware out there that, that this could potentially scan. Of course, it's not going to scan it until it's know about it until it's been added to its database. But it also kind of helps you to be a good net citizen. And um, uh, everything that I've ever found on my machine has been um, PC viruses and mail attachments. Yeah, I, I don't run any soft uh, virus software, but I would take your advice it is available in the mac app store and that's a really good way to do it because you know one of the digs against this stuff is it starts running these background processes and it slows your system down and as much as i like my friends on the pcs i'm not willing to slow down my system to uh to help them with their virus problem so you you download the app and then you just run it independently if it finds something it'll tell you yeah this Um, is one of those things you can throw an omni outline or omni uh omni focus and run every six months or so. Yeah, there, there is this arrogance among Mac users that say, well, we're not going to get viruses because the Mac is better. And I don't think that's entirely correct. I think it's a lot to do with market share. Um, I know there are some very sophisticated people writing virus software, and that's their business is to take over computers. Uh, I don't think that it's going to happen where you know, they are never going to, going to find the Mac. Eventually they will, and probably will all need virus software at some point, but the market share hasn't got to the point yet where uh, they are systematically attacking us. And once they do, I think it's going to change a lot of things for us. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's par- partly security by obscurity. And I think we are, but you know, a lot of this stuff is now platform agnostic. Yeah, that's and that, true. That's really what we need to be aware of. And as much as we uh, don't like the effects of sandboxing that Apple's doing through the app store and so many of the apps that we know and love, you know, can't even be sold through there anymore. You know, a text expander is a good example. I mean, I I love that app. I can't buy it in the app store anymore because it does things that, you know, can't cooperate with the sandboxing rules by its nature. Um, So that, that kind of stinks. But at the same time, sandboxing really does help us avoid running into these big sorts of exposures from viruses too. So uh, I think in a, in a lot of ways, you know, Apple's moving in a direction like it or hate it, uh, that is going to make it harder for us to get, you know, caught with these problems. All right. Anything else in kind of the maintenance security uh, arena for you? Uh, not really. I mean, I've got several here, little utilities, but I'm not, you know, I, I'm going to just talk about them later. Okay. All right. Well, in that case, let's take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor for this episode. And that is our returning sponsor that I'm so glad to have back with us because I'm a big fan of their service. And that is Gazelle. So, you know, rumors have it that at some point a new iPad is going to come out and maybe like a new iPad mini with retina display that I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for because my my third generation iPad is just ancient and archaic. And I'm starting to notice that the 
well, I'm not in battery might be not lasting quite as long as it used to. And I really want a Retina iPad mini. And when it comes out, that old iPad third generation is going to go to Kazelle. Because if, if you want the latest gadget or if you're thinking about switching to it, you know, you can get some cash back for your old gadget by selling it to Gazelle. And it is so easy because all you have to do is go to gazelle.com, search for the item that you're looking for and tell them that the condition that it's in. And even if it's had a little accident, like you've broken it or had something like that, just tell them and they'll even buy broken iPhones and broken iPads. So tell them what you've got, tell them the condition of it. They'll buy other stuff too. They'll buy tablets, they'll buy those Android phones and all that other stuff. You get a quote, they lock in the quote for 30 days. So you've got enough time to get your other gadget and get your data transferred over and things like that. And then they'll pay you. You can either get paid by PayPal, they can send you a check. I've done it both ways. Or they can send you an Amazon gift card. And if you get paid by Amazon gift card, you'll get a little extra 5% credit. And if you shop as much as I do on Amazon, that's kind of almost like cash. So you can go to gazelle.com now, tell them what you got, get a whole box together of your goodies. They'll even ship you a box sometimes and you can ship it back. And their packaging is really, really cool. Um, and get paid cash or PayPal or Amazon gift card credit for what you want. And the thing that I like about this more than anything is it is no hassle whatsoever. I don't have to post something on one of those online services. I don't have to worry about meeting somebody. I don't have to worry about one of these scams. I don't have to deal with chargebacks. I'm just dealing with a trusted entity and it is painless. So thanks to you. A power tip, because if you're listening to Mac power users, you're going to be watching the rumor sites too. And when you hear Apple's about to have an event and it's about to be about the iPad mini, then, then lock in your gazelle rate right before the event. You, usually that's that's when you get a yep, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you get a yep from Dalrymple, then head to Gazelle. <laughs> there you go. And uh, thanks to Gazelle for their support of Mac Power users. And welcome back, guys. All right. So let's talk some data management um, applications. And uh, so we've talked about, you know, maintenance, but what about managing all this data on our Macs? And you know, one of them is uh, is a sponsor of our show uh, is Daisy Disk. I use that thing all the time to keep track of what's going on in my hard drive. I agree because with SSDs, we, you know, we've talked about Daisy Disk quite a bit on the show, so I won't harp on this. But you know, that's one of these reasons that some of these maintenance programs are so popular because people are trying to figure out ways to claim as much of that space as they can on these SSDs. Well, the easiest way to do that is just to manage your own files and Daisy Disks and app, apps like it make that easy to do. Yeah. I, I like having control over that. It's maybe it's just an old flashback for me being an old time, you know, command line guy, but I want to know what I'm removing from my computer. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, another one is some of these backup applications and these aren't new to the show. I mean, carbon copy cloner is really good and super duper. I mean, those are two that I, I don't know which one you want to pick. I use super duper. I think Katie, these days you're using carbon copy cloner. I am. I, but I use super duper for years and I just recently made the switch to carbon copy cloner when they, when they launched their, their new update. Um, but I, I like them both uh, right now. I'm using carbon copy cloner because it's got a couple of additional features that I like, like the ability to do, um, a, ver a verified backup, meaning that it will do a bit for bit review of the backup to make sure that it's, it's got everything and that there are no issues. And it can do things like some, it, it, and I think SuperDuper has this ability too, but it can launch some scripts. So for example, it will, you know, mount or eject your backup drive when it's before it starts or when it's done so yeah. that you don't have to Super keep drives mounted. That. Yeah. Yeah. It, either or you can't go wrong with either. 
you know, I've got, I've got on my laptop, I've got a super duper setup. So as soon as I plug in the super duper drive, it starts up, it backs up, it makes the backup, you know, it does incremental backup because I paid for a license and then it ejects the drive. And when I see the drive is off the desktop, then I can just go put it away again. Yeah, one of the things I really like about SuperDuper, and I've I've set this up on family members' computers, is I know that I've got a hard drive that's going to be connected to my Mac all the time that I'm going to do regular backups to, or it's going to back up to my Drobo that's on the network. So I don't have to necessarily worry about, is that drive going to be there? But my mom's got a laptop, and she doesn't keep anything connected to that laptop. That laptop is sometimes in, in a desk drawer. And I tell her every now and again that she needs to take this little external hard drive that she's got and she needs to plug it in. And it's, she, I don't want her to have those extra steps of having to plug it in, go launch an application, you know, figure out what settings she wants and click clone, although it's very, very simple. So I've got her set up with SuperDuper that as soon as it sees this drive is plugged in, it just kicks off a backup. That's interesting. Normally when I'm setting up a computer for somebody who's not real tech savvy, I just do it with, you know, the Apple's built-in backup system because you just plug in and it starts backing up. I I hadn't really thought about setting, um, I guess, non-geeks up with SuperDuper before. Well, see, her problem is that she doesn't keep a hard drive attached to it regularly. You know, the hard drive's in a, in a drawer and I have to tell her, hey, have you backed up lately? Yeah. So but it, even you, yeah. you can even do that with Time Machine, though. When it plugs in, it will it will start backing up. Yeah, but not immediately. I mean, I, there's there's a yeah. delay, and then especially if she hasn't backed up for in a while, the backup's going to take a long time. Yeah, I guess that's true Super Duper as well. But. I, I may have said this on the show before, but I always tell people, because, you know, you have friends that want you to help them set up their Macs. And I'm pretty sure most of the people listening to the show are like me. They have the same thing. People call you and they say, hey, I got a new Mac. Please help me. And I tell them that my fee is that they have to buy a backup drive and I won't show up to help them set it up unless they have one. And I'll send them the link on Amazon or whatever. And uh, that always feels pretty good to me because then I know when when something goes wrong, they'll have a backup in the future. Yeah. Uh, that we don't want to turn this into a backup show, though. There was another data management app that I thought was pretty cool. It was called Contacts Cleaner, and you had listed this in the uh, show outline. Uh, the company that makes this is uh, the same people that made Spanning Sync, which is an ancient app. I think it was the first app I ever reviewed publicly. But uh, you know, it, it allowed you to sync, I think with a palm trio or something, <laughs> but the, uh, uh, but they made this great app and, and they have another one called calendar cleaner and they're both $5 in the Mac app store. And I own them both and they do a really good job of letting you uh, take care of problems in your calendar or your contacts. And it's, it does a lot, you know, the contacts application has this ability to scan for duplicates and, and merge and things like that. But it doesn't really do it this well. This really does a good scan for duplicates. And it will also do things like make sure that things are formatted properly. Is the phone number formatted the way that you like phone numbers to be formatted? If you've got someone who has a middle initial, is the middle initial actually in the middle initial field? Or depending on how they formatted their contact card, is it just like the first part of their last name, in which case it's messing up your alphabet, you know, alphabet, alphabetization? That's not right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Okay. I don't care. It's okay. good now. There you go. Or it will it will look and see, you know, this person has a, a wacky title or you have an extra space. That happens to me all the time. You have an extra space in in this email address, which will make the email address bounce back. 
Yeah. So it's a great app. Uh, with Calendar Cleaner, it does the same thing with calendar events. Uh, we recently, in my office, we upgraded the Exchange to the uh, Office 365 product. So now I actually have a, a, a modern Exchange server. I've gone from Exchange 2003 to Exchange Now, and it's much better, by the way. Uh, but when they did it, uh, somebody pushed the wrong button, and suddenly I had like five calendar entries for every one of my court appearances for the next year. Okay. And and uh, the the way you know the the IT guy who who caused the problem was going said well we got to go in and we got to manually you know delete a bunch of these and I said well let me take a look at it from the Mac side <laughs> and I, I uploaded um, ca- uh, Calendar Cleaner it found all the dupes deleted them and then through Exchange it fixed everything on the server wow which I thought was pretty clever worth it for five bucks yeah. very worth it yeah. So that's a good one to have. Another, it's another one to have in case of emergency. Yep. All right. Um, well, I was going to talk about another backup one, but you said you were over backups. You know, that's okay. Give me one show. more. Give me one more. All right. Well, one more backup thing is, you know, CrashPlan. I'm a big fan of CrashPlan. You, you're using CrashPlan now too, right? Yeah. Well, I just renewed my subscription for another year. So I'm in. Now, are you using the family CrashPlan, the family no. service? Just you? No. Well, you know, I, I've explained before on the show, we have an iMac in our house, which is like the family iMac. It's got all the iTunes. It's got all the various iPhoto libraries. It's connected to a external drive that's got a lot of data. I think it's got like three gigs of data on it. And that's the one I hooked into CrashPlan. And it took a long time to get that first backup done, but now it's always up to date. So what you could do is instead of buying the family plan for crash plan, which is not that expensive. So maybe you just should upgrade to the family plan. And then you could put a second copy of, you know, then you could upload your laptop and Daisy's laptop. And uh, do your daughters both have their own laptops? Probably. No. no? no okay. They don't. Well, but my at some point they will. At some point yeah, they will. Yeah, my older one does. Um, those could all back up to crash plan or what you could do because you've got this always on iMac is, is what I've done is take that crash plan application on there and, um, send them out invites from the crash plan application, install the crash plan software on their individual computers, and then back up to your iMac. Now, I know you're going to say, I don't want to back up to my iMac because I've got an SSD in there and I don't have as much space. But then you could set like a destination for for those backups to be an external hard drive or something like that so that you could back up your laptop, your wife's laptop, your kids' laptops or whatever through the crash plan that is running on your always on iMac, um, but yet instead of setting the destination for those backups to be the internal hard drive, set the backup for those to be, you know, whatever, your Drobo or, you know, an external three terabyte hard drive or something that you attach to it. And I've set that up, you know, again, just for family members who I know aren't going to regularly back up. You know, my mom's only going to every couple of if I'm lucky, every couple of weeks, she's going to plug in that external hard drive that's going to launch super duper. But I can go up and see, okay, yeah, her crash plan was was just topped off about nine hours ago. You know, it seems to me like I, I'm trying to think about the way I look at crash plan in my life because I added crash plan. And what is it? I pay, I think, about 60 bucks a year for it. Yeah, it's, it's ballpark. It's five bucks a month. And so I, I've got this service that's backed up everything. And it's like this emergency, extra emergency storage of data because it didn't stop me from doing anything else that I'm already doing for backups. I still have the external hard drive backup. I still, you know, use the offsite stuff that I've been doing before. 
So maybe I'm just completely manic and I didn't need to add this to the system, but it is comforting to know that if everything else fails, somewhere in the world, CrashPlan has got a copy of all this data. Well, I wouldn't so much be worried about your stuff because you were so manic about your backups already. I'd be more worried about the other people in your life stuff. But yeah. maybe you're manic about their backups, too. Well, because it's all on this computer, it allows me to control that. And I do have a lot of back. I mean, the, the hard drive, the three terabyte drive I've got attached is actually a six terabyte drive. And there's two drives in there. And it's got a, a mirror in there at all times. Then we've got a Drobo uh, connected to our network that anything key goes on there. And then I've got, you know, like I said, we're turning this into a backup show. But the... Uh, it is a nice feeling knowing that somewhere outside of California, this data is stored for me. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about um, on hard drives. Let's talk about a sponsor and that's connected data. And they've got this, this device, the transporter, which solves a key problem in the world of storage, which is how to share, collaborate and backup data between different locations without storing that data in the cloud. Um, I was recently at an event with a lot of lawyers and everybody wants to play in the cloud, but nobody wants to put data in the cloud because of course uh, they're worried about security Um, uh, with something like the transporter. You create your own cloud. You plug it into your ethernet port at your house or at a friend's house or at your office. And it gives you a way to store and share data uh, without subjecting yourself to the whim of caprice of some other company. And it's a really great device. You can get them with different size hard drives and you just plug it in. The transporter makes it simple to automatically synchronize files to other transporters owned by people you invite. These can be on the desk next door, across town, or halfway around the world. No fussing with firewalls, VPNs, or other frustrations. Changes made by any participant are replicated to all the other transporters sharing the data. So, uh, if I've got my transporter set up and I've got files in there for the show, Katie and I are sharing it, then all of a sudden we can uh, we can share that data across without having to put it up on Dropbox or some other service. Yeah, and the um, beauty of that is our files get pretty darn big. I mean, just recording this podcast will produce a couple of gigabytes of files but between the two of us. Well, yeah, usually my end, the recording for the show is a four gigabyte file. Right. Um, so it's great, you know. It, it's a uh, it's a very unique device. I think it fills a niche that, frankly, I didn't realize existed until I found the device. Uh, the other great thing is because you control it, you can turn it off anytime you want. You know, if the guys in black helicopters are coming down, you can unplug your your transporter and the data is then off the grid. Um, so it's really a nice device. I know lawyers are going nuts for it. Anybody who's conscious about the types of data they're putting on the cloud should look into this. I think it's a real option. Um, and the amount of data you can put in it is also really great. Like I'm able to back up all of my photographs to this transporter device in my sister-in-law's house where otherwise I couldn't put this up in Dropbox without spending a lot of money because it's, It's like a hundred gigabytes of data just in photographs. So it's really great. There's a lot of ways you can use this thing. You can distribute files that are too large via email. You can protect your privacy and uh, control the systems for peer-to-peer sharing instead of putting it up on someone else's server. Um, It's a great product and you should check it out. I'm I'm a big fan of the transporter. Now I have two of them because I like them so much and uh, go check it out. Yeah, thanks, Transporter and Connected Data, for your sponsorship of the show. And I have two of them now, too, so I'll be talking about how I'm using my second one. Did you know that, in addition, you can get a 10% discount? You can. You can. And you can do that either by going to filetransporter.com slash MPU 
or using the coupon code MPU at checkout when you buy direct. So Very go cool. get yourself a new transporter. Uh, we've we've heard from several listeners that have got them, and they all love them. And uh, it's really a great device. Check it out. All right. The next category I kind of carved out was productivity. Boy, that's a that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. So you only have a few in here. I've got like, I, 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 I knew you'd fill it out. Yeah. So I, I well, guess we, we must mention Alfred, but I'm not going to say anything more than that hardly because other than say – See last show. Yeah. And we got a lot of great feedback from the last show. And it sounds like a lot of people are really digging Alfred. Yeah. And launch another bar. One, we should mention launch bar. Yeah. Launch bar too. Uh, another one that we've talked about on the show before uh, is Fantastico. And um, I call that a utility because I use it to create events. You know, it's, it's really great. You, uh, it works out of the menu bar and allows you to use plain language to create events. Um, as for, as a calendar, I prefer BusyCal for actually viewing the stuff. So I use two separate utilities for my, um, my calendaring, but I use Fantastical to create the events. I use BusyCal for everything else. BusyCal is a great calendar. We should mention that if you hear the show on Monday, Fantastical is a part of that Mac Heist bundle. Yeah. Great deal. Yeah. So you can get that and clean my Mac and a bunch of other stuff for 10 bucks. Whereas Fantastical alone is 20 bucks. Um, another great one that we talk about a lot on the show and it's, it's our original sponsors, text expander. I mean, that, that's the utility that never stops giving. <laughs> I use that every day and, um, and Hazel, which is, you know, next to Brett Turfstra, it's the other drinking name of the show. If you use the word Hazel, when you listen to Mac power users, you're supposed to take a drink because it's just so great. Um, I've got a bunch of others though, like Moom is one I really like. In fact, everything, almost the mini tricks guys make is really good. So Moom is one of these window managers and there's a bunch of them out there, but this is the one I like because it's scriptable. It, it just does a whole lot of stuff that the others don't do and it's done with panache. So that's one I really like. Um, what are some others here, Katie? Well, I really like how you ran through everything I added to the outline and now you're running through yours. <laughs> well, you want me to go slow? Did I, did I, I missed I miss unclutter. That's one. Thank you. Yeah. You yeah. Leave, leave me one here. Um, right. what, one that I added, and they're made by the fine folks who made Daisy Disc, so full disclosure, they're, they're a future sponsor of the show, um, is Unclutter. And this is a little app that sits in your menu bar, but it, it allows you to kind of pull down your, your menu bar in and reveal some extra storage space up above it where you can keep files. And they just came out with a nice update that I think I just updated to today. So um, you can, I use Unclutter in conjunction with Hazel. So you can, you can hit, you can specify a particular folder that you want to name as temporary file storage, say, and these, these files will just get kind of kind of grouped together and put in this kind of little holding space up above your menu bar. You just kind of pull your menu bar down um, using either a mouse trick or a command key. And there are these, these files just sitting there. So I use this trick where instead of putting things on my desktop, because I can't stand to have a cluttered desktop. And so if I'm ever going to put something on my desktop, I'll have a Hazel rule that says, watch my desktop. And if it's been on my desktop more than I think it's 30 minutes, move it to this special folder that is set up to be matched with unclutter. And so then it goes into that little unclutter holding spot. That's pretty smart. I like that idea. Yeah. So you're right. They do have the version 1.1 just came out today and I'm looking at the notes here and they've got some nice new features to it. 
I'm going to download this and play with it as soon as we get done recording. Yeah. The other thing it gives you is basically a three-pane interface that pulls down from your menu bar. It gives you a clipboard. It gives you a little file storage area. And then it gives you a little notepad. So you can just jot a quick note. If you just need to jot a quick note or a phone number or something that you might need to reference later, throw your files in there, throw your notes in there, throw something from your clipboard on there, and then roll it back up. Yeah, it's going to be, I think this is going to become a very interesting product because I've talked to them a little bit and I know what they're planning to do with the future of this. And I think it's going to be very useful. Another one that I would I would categorize in the subject of of productivity is Palua, P-A-L-U-A. And it's just a little menu bar item that allows you to toggle your function keys. You know how the function keys on the Mac usually default to not being function keys and the other features that they've got on them, like, you know, the start and stop controls for iTunes or, or brightness, the brightness or, yeah. And it, and that really is generally what I use those keys for. But there's a couple apps that I work in that I need them as function keys. And one of the best examples for me is, you know, we've got, I've got a PC at work that I use and I've, it doesn't even have a monitor attached to it. It's headless. <laughs> and um, there's one application I need for it. It involves, you know, the administration of a, of a law office. So I need to get into that every once in a while. And it's a very, you know, it's a typical PC app. It's got a lot of function key requirements and it's, it's just, it's very tedious to use this application. So I always want to use function keys in that app. So when I run my RDC program, my remote desktop program to get into that, that Mac, that uh, PC, uh, Palua always gives me function keys in that app. That was a long discussion. Did that make sense? Yeah, no, it gives you function keys. So Inst- it, instead of having to hit the function button, right? Yeah. So it's, it's app dependent. So you can say if I'm in, you know, I use jump desktop for remote desktop these days. So if, uh, if you're in jump desktop, give them function keys. If you're in Safari, give them the feature keys, you know, so, uh, and you can set the default and it's really easy and it's just a little menu bar app. I paid a couple bucks for it. It's a dollar right now in the Mac app store. So totally worth it. Um, some more of my productivity apps, I would say one is, um, is called Quiet. And I kind of go hot and cold with this app. It's in the App Store for two bucks. And it allows you to gray out or, or black out the rest of the screen except for your active application. And, you know, the, I guess this falls in the general category of, of avoiding inter- interruptions or, you know, trying to work in one app at a time, kind of almost create the iOS experience on your Mac. And sometimes I find these things useful uh, when I really want to concentrate on something. And then I forget to use them and I stop using them for like three or four months and then I find them again. And the one I'm currently running is Quiet, which is kind of interesting. It's not very good when you're running a podcast, but if you're just sitting there writing, it's pretty useful. Have you ever tried any of those apps? Why wouldn't you just go into full screen mode then? Yeah, well, that's a good question, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things you can do. Some apps don't work in full screen or don't look that good in full screen. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's true. When you're on a 27 inch monitor. Yeah. You don't need a 27 inch text editor. Yeah. I, you, the, Although I, it's kind you, of fun to do that sometimes. Well, but you'd have trouble reading yeah. all the way across, all yeah. the way across. Yeah. But, and I know there's a bunch of apps like this, but quiet works nice. And I've had it for some time. I don't know what led me to buy this one in particular, but it, it works good. 
Um, let's see, what else have I got here that I think would qualify as productivity? Well, here's one. I'm not sure if you'd call this an, an enhancement or a productivity, but it's an app that you should be playing with. It's called Better Touch Tool. Okay. Um, have you ever used it? I think that qualifies as productivity. Yeah, it's it's really great. It supercharges your touch um, pad on your on your uh, on your laptop or you know the Apple Magic Trackpad that you can get for your desktop. And there's you know it gives you a lot more you can do with it. For instance, you can have very complex combinations. Uh, I use it to close windows in Safari. You know, with I hold three tap three fingers down, I tap one. Um, uh, now, I, do- this this is one I've had trouble with, David, because I have trouble enough remembering all of the keyboard or not keyboard com- all of the touch combinations that I can do with my trackpad as is. And now you're adding more on top of that. Really, Are you having trouble? There aren't that many I'm gestures. I'm so old and confused. I guess that's my line. I don't know. No, there, there aren't that many gestures. Okay, so this is the trick. Go go into the system I know. Watch, watch the little tutorial. Yeah, well, I'm, I know you know, but I'm not sure everybody else does. Okay, so yeah, if, yeah. if you go into the preferences and you click on trackpad and you've got a trackpad attached to your Mac, Apple's got a whole series of videos built into the preference pane that show you the things you can do with it, like swiping between pages in Safari and showing your desktop and doing all this great stuff and watch the videos and start incorporating those. And I agree, don't get better touch tool until you master those, but there aren't that many of them. I mean, I'm looking, there's maybe, you know, 15 total. So they become second nature in no time at all. So much so that I don't even use a mouse anymore. I, uh, for a while, I tried to be like Katie. You know, she's really cool. She runs a mouse on the left side and a trackpad on the right side. And I found I never used the mouse. So I just put the mouse away again. But you get good at these gestures. Then once you get there, then download Better Touch Tool, which is free, which kind of blows me away. Um, and and then start adding some keyboard, I'm sorry, some uh, some touch uh, gestures just for you, for things that you do all the time. I mean, maybe you're in Final Cut and there's something you want to do and you add a specific gesture for that. Or maybe you're in, you know, Pages and there's something you want to do for that. Uh, so just play with this thing and you'll be amazed how, how fast you get at it. You I use can't... it all the time. Yeah. I should post a bunch of my gestures is what I should do. You should. You might have to do video for that, though. Yeah, we, when I, we did it, the go ahead when we did the sixty tips book, um, Brett did the section on better touch tool. We did a few third party apps, and this one we thought was good enough to make the cut. And he mounted a camera on his tripod and and took pictures of his hands or videos of his hands while he was doing the the gestures. I thought that was really clever. Now it also works with a magic mouse. I was I was helping somebody set up their their new iMac a couple of weeks ago, and that was really my first extended experience with a magic mouse. I've used magic mouses before, yeah, just kind of playing around with them, never more than a few minutes at a time. And I always found them kind of uncomfortable because they were very low profile. But this was really my first experience of using a magic mouse for a couple of hours on end, and I kind of liked it. I don't I don't know if I could use it as my everyday mouse in and out. Um, just from an ergonomic standpoint, but better touch tool also works with a magic mouse was where I was going with that. Yeah, no, you're right. Anyway, check it out. I I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Why don't we talk about clarify? Clarify. I love clarify and they are a new sponsor to Mac power users. So welcome to clarify. Um, So, you know, 
sometimes, you know, you, you do a lot of screencasts and those are wonderful for teaching somebody how to do something, but there's a lot of work involved. And sometimes you just want to create a quick document to show somebody this is how you do this particular thing. And I've made these all the time, and I've started posting them to my website. So you may see them from time to time posted to the uh, katiefloyd.me site. But I make these all the time for my Mac user group. If there's a particular topic that we're talking about, or I keep getting asked the same question over and over again. For example, I'm constantly asked the question, I just posted this to my website about using AirPlay mirroring. We've been doing a whole series on the Apple TV, and I, I'm always ask the question, how do I mirror my iPhone or my iPad to the Apple TV? And that's not really hard, but it's something that's kind of hard to explain verbally to someone. Well, you know, you got to double tap the home screen and then you swipe to the right twice and then you click the little airplay button and then you pick this and then you go from there. So I, I could have created a video. I could have, you know, shot up Reflector app and, and made a quick screencast video. But yeah, it probably would have been a couple of minutes. But what I did instead is I used Clarify to make a quick step-by-step -step tutorial on how this is done. And it was only four or five steps. But Clarify simplifies the process by combining screen capture and word processor functionality. So it makes working with multiple images and text to very easily create a series of screenshots. And then you can annotate them. You can um, add descriptions. You can add little number signs. So this is step one. This is step two. This is step three. And it just really makes sure that your communication is clear and concise so that you're getting your message across. It took me you know, less than a couple of minutes to create this tutorial on how to activate um, AirPlay streaming on an iPhone or an iPad. I was able to post it up and send it around to the group through our website. And that's what makes Clarify uh, such a pleasure to use is that you've got so many different output formats. You can, you can print it up to a PDF and you can customize it so that if you're using it for your company, which is a great use of Clarify, um, you can customize it so it kind of matches with your company branding. Or it comes with, they've got their own clarifyit.com service. So you can upload it to their web service um, and, and just direct people to the website. You don't even have to host it yourself. Or in my case, because I do have a website, I could just copy the HTML. And it was one click to copy it to my, to, um, my clipboard or copy the HTML out of Clarify. And I popped it up into Squarespace. I just added an extra HTML block in Squarespace, pasted it in. It retained all of the formatting. One thing that I did and, you know, boom, it was on my website. It, it just took me seconds to make the post. You can also save it to Evernote. You can save it to Dropbox. Um, and it allows you to copy everything into rich text so that you can paste it into Word or email. And it just takes a few seconds to create a really great documentation that you can have forever. And if something changes, you can go back and you can edit it with a snap instead of having to redo an entire screencast. So Clarify is available for both Mac or Windows. It's available for $30. Or you can get a cross-platform license that allows you to use it for, for either or for $39.99. Um, and it's also available in the Mac App Store. So check it out. Yeah, you know, like If you've got a turnover at your office and you want to have a system for the new people to come in and get on the ground and running really quickly. There's specific ways you do something in an application. Maybe it's Microsoft Word or maybe it's something proprietary. You could make a whole manual for this and just hand it to the person and it shows them every step of the way. I, I really think this is a great product too. And uh, I use it as well in my day job. And if you act fast, you might find it in that Mac Heist bundle too. Yeah, but you're going to have to act really fast because that's only a day or two left when the show publishes. Yep. So. Okay. 
Well, thanks, Clarify. We're really uh, happy to have you on the on the team. So um, this next category that I made up, don't steal all mine this time. I'm sorry. I yeah. got excited. You did get excited. You just ran through all mine and then started yours. Um, the next category. Are you I'm, still angry at me? I'm not going to oh. be angry. Gosh. Because I heard that. Did you, you see people like... posted that I, that I don't like Merlin? Did you know that? Well, you know, you were really angry that day. Apparently I was very angry that day. <laughs> <laughs> I was not angry for the record. Anyway, the next category I made was enhancements. Did, and did the, you just blush, Katie? I did, did not. You just, I did it not. sounded to me like you did. No, I rolled my okay. eyes. All right. Because I'm angry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving forward, the, the next category I created was just enhancements. So these are like little add-ons that enhance the Mac experience. Does that work? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, I've they, got a they, bunch of these. they could be productive, but that was the that was the category that I went with. So, first one I had to pick was bartender. It's fifteen bucks. I was lucky enough to pick it up when it was in beta, and I I got it for half of that, I think. But well worth every penny of fifteen bucks because I got to tell you, what bartender does is it enables me to add every other enhancement just about that we talk about in this section and a whole bunch of others that we've covered in this in this show because it allows me to extend my menu bar by managing my menu bar with the bartender menu bar and throwing in all these extra little things and hiding them and and just it adds a whole different level to my menu bar which is great because I was getting to the point where on my 13-inch MacBook Air I was not able to see my menu bar in most cases because it was I had so many little extras and add-ons that it was it was really going off the screen yeah, I would. I used to have to click on the desktop so it would go to Finder because Finder doesn't have a lot of menu items to get to some of my menu bar items on my laptop. Uh, uh, Bartender is. Uh, did you ever play uh, Dungeons and Dragons when you were a kid? Mm, no. See, I'm, I, I think that was just my generation because we didn't really have computers. So if we were nerds, we had to find something else to do. And uh, but there was a there was a device you could get called a bag of holding and. So you only had so many things you could carry, but if you had a bag of holding, you could put extra things in it and you could carry more. Uh, so that's a long way for me saying bartender is the bag of holding for the menu bar. So I all like you have that. to do is so you click on it and you can and display a whole bunch of additional menu bar applications underneath. And it's really smart about it. I mean, I don't know how he did it, but it allows you to rearrange the Apple menu bar items, which I didn't think was possible until this app came out. Um, he also allows you to have applications exhibit different behaviors in the menu bar. So you can say, uh, don't put this in bartender, always keep it on my main menu bar. And I have things in there like text expander because I'm in it so often. And, you know, other little apps like Fantastical is another one that I don't put in bartender. Then you can have apps that only appear in Bartender, and those are like little utilities or background things that you want to have, but you don't ever need to see them in your menu bar. And then they've got some that you can say, only put it in my standard menu bar when it's active. And Dropbox is a great one for me to give this category. So when Dropbox is syncing, I see it in my menu bar, but when it's done, it disappears. Uh, so it's just a really great app, 15 bucks, and uh, it solves such a problem. I mean, this is a good example, if you were a software developer, of, of finding a problem that a lot of people have and there wasn't a good solution for. And this guy just, just crushed it with this app. All right. You got one? I yeah. Just, um, just finished it. 
well, you, I've got, you've got one here that's on my list as well, but so we'll, I'll let you do that one next. Uh, there's another one we've talked about a few times on the app on the show is pop clip and it just keeps getting better and better. So pop clip, uh, gives you the same behavior from iOS and the Mac. If you drag and select text, it opens up options, but this one has all these great plugin extensions. So I can have it, uh, if I want to turn, text to all caps, or if I want to create links, if I want to add text to an OmniFocus task item, if I want to look it up in Wikipedia, there's all these great things you can do with it. And I, I just keep getting more excited about PopClip. Let me ask you a little bit more about PopClip. I know we said okay. we're going to be quick on all of these. I, I, the jury is still out for me on PopClip. I want to like PopClip because so many really smart people that I respect like PopClip and are talking about it, but it kind of annoys me. You know, when I select text, boom, it pops up and there's all of this stuff that maybe I really don't want to do. And I just, I just want it to go away. Well, then don't use pop clip. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty well, easy. But I mean, it, I mean, only so it, it doesn't it bother only, you? It only appears if you select it with the mouse. If right. you select it with the keyboard, it does not appear. That's true. And so if you're doing something with the keyboard, it's not going to get in your way. If you're doing something with the mouse, presumably your finger is already on the mouse and it appears right next to it. So it's very efficient. And that way you can just go and, and, and select copy or all caps or send this as an email or whatever you've customized your pop clip to show. So I don't find it annoying at all. I mean, because it's there when I need it and it's not there when I don't need it. It does a word count. I mean, I do a lot of write a lot of articles and things where I need to know the word count and just selecting it gives me the word count immediately. It's almost a step above services for me. You know, services are those great automator things you create to to automatically process text or something else on your computer. Uh, this takes out the step of having to go and select the service. It just happens. I guess I almost always select text with my mouse. Maybe that's my problem is I need to select text more often with my keyboard. Yeah. But if you select text with your mouse, you're selecting it to do something with it whether it's going to be a copy or a paste or, or put it in an email. Let's say you're going to select text and you want well, to write an email. Yeah, well, let me, let, me, let me tell you, I almost always am selecting text to copy or paste it. Okay. But, but something about the way, and maybe I just need to disable copy and paste from PopClick, because what I do when I select text to copy and paste it, I am so used to selecting text and then right-clicking, and, and there's a little contextual menu for copy and paste. Yeah, but you wouldn't have to right-click. I wouldn't you have would to right-click, but there's that little pop clip right in my way. Yeah, but it says copy on I it. I know so you it just says copy that. on it, so I can just go click on that, but it just pops up in my way. Yeah, and then it's got an option to paste and match style. You can download an extension for that. So let's say you wanted to copy it and paste it and not get all the internet gobbledygook in your paste. You can do that through pop clip. Yeah. Oh, Give or it a chance. Or some, Just, yeah, I keep using it. Or sometimes it will get on my nerves if I've, if I've got something and I'm right-clicking on it because I want to it's, – it's spelled incorrectly or there's a typo and I want to correct it. And it will select it instead and cause an issue. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. I'm, I'm working on it. It's okay, right. Katie. Yeah. So if you don't angry. like PopClip, it's okay. So angry. Um, caffeine is my next one. That's another one that I really like. Yeah, And it's free, and it's available in the Mac App Store, so you can go grab it out of the Mac App Store. And you can even run it now with an Alfred plugin, which is how I'm using it. But what Caffeine will let you do is it will allow you to not sleep. 
your computer or not set your screensaver to activate for either until you turn it off or for a set period of time. And this is great when you're giving a presentation or if you've got some kind of processor intensive task. And some applications will disable this, but some some won't. Um, if you've got a processor intensive task and you don't want your machine to go to sleep or um, you know that will would otherwise activate this. And I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I've definitely had situations where I've I've had something that's been rendering and my machine goes to sleep and it interrupts it. So I've I've had to activate caffeine to do that. Oh, you know what it is? It's when I'm FTPing our show to the five by five FTP server when it, because it takes so long, my machine will go to sleep and it will, um, it will interrupt it. So that's when I activate caffeine. Yeah. Very useful. Yeah. I've got one, uh, called cheat sheet. Uh, are you familiar with this keyboard shortcuts? Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a free app in the Mac app store. And if you download it, uh, and you hold down the command key in any application, long enough, I think it's about two or three seconds, it opens up a list of all the command keyboard shortcuts you can use for that app. And it's done by application. And it's a great way to get better at using keyboard shortcuts. Where where does it just pop up? Where does it come? I mean, where does... It, it where just does opens it? a window, fills your screen with oh, all wow. the keyboard shortcuts for the app. Okay. And it, so if you can't remember one, and a lot of times they don't list all the keyboard shortcuts in the menu. Right. So right. This gives you a great way to, to find them. Okay. Like, did you know in Safari? Well, let's see here. Let me do one. I'm going to, I'm Safari is my active app. And, uh, if I hit, Oh, so this is a keyboard shortcut that I've added. Um, um, command shift control C send to OmniFocus. So it, it's in here. It's in the um, the the application. Not only finds the built-in keyboard shortcuts that are programmed to the app, it also finds the um, the shortcuts that you've added through keyboard shortcuts on your Mac. And for instance, the bookmarks, because I've got you know a couple apps across the top of the screen. Number one, uh, Command One is Max Sparky. It doesn't just say first tab; it actually gives you the name of it. Just great stuff. Cool. And it's free. All right. Well, my next one is um, display menu free. Do you have that one? Oh, no, display have, menu, and it is free. There should be a hyphen there. Yeah, I have one of those. I'm looking. I actually put it on my list. I have to find it now. Um, I used one of those applications that I got from the App Store. Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple one. I think one was kind of designed specifically for Macs with Retina displays, and and one will work with with any Mac. But what this does is, was it Mountain Lion when they removed the resolution tab from, or they moved the display resolution tab from the from the yes. menu bar? Yeah, yeah, it was. But you used to be able to go in and set a specific resolution for your monitor, and you still can if you go into System Preferences and Display, and then I think you have to click the customize button or something like that. And then you can go in and see the resolutions that your Mac screen supports. But if you're regularly connecting to uh, projectors or something, you know, where you're, you're regularly changing your display resolution, it, it's handy to be able to have that in the menu bar. And um, this is again, one of those that I throw into bartender and it it's hidden 90% of the time, but when I need it, I pop up in bartender and there it is. Yeah. I, it's display menu is the one I use as well. And it's it's key when I screencast because when I screencast, I put the screen at 1280 by 720 or something very close to that. 
uh, because it looks a lot better for the people at the other end if they're going to play it on an Apple TV or their iPad or whatever. If you if you screencast at the native resolution of a Mac, um, it gets artifacty and weird when you start compressing it down for other devices. So the the idea is make the original recording close to the the source of uh, the end device resolution. So I'm constantly jumping between this terrible resolution on my big fancy iMac and then it's native resolution when I want to start editing the screencast file. And that's, so, it's easy if it's in the display. Yeah. If you look at every screencast I make, you'll see that app is in my menu bar for those, <laughs> for that time. And then when I'm done, I, I, I get rid of it. I only really use it when I'm making screencasts. Okay, well, I guess it's my turn. It is your turn. Um, I've talked about iClean Memory before, and it always seems to open up kind of a can of worms. Um, it's an application that monitors your memory usage, and as your max memory starts to be used for a lot of things, it'll give you the chance to push a button, and it'll go through and try and clean it out for you. It used to be a much bigger deal when I was running a 4-gigabyte MacBook Air. Um, now that I'm running a 16-gigabyte iMac, it's not that big of a deal, but uh, I think it works, and a lot of people think it doesn't. Uh, so that's one. That I, I'm not even sure that one it, it gets a full pick, <laughs> but uh, it's something worth checking out. Um, another one that I really like is Yoink, and uh, Yoink is an application that allows you to move uh, files around your Mac. And when you select something with your mouse, Yoink opens up a little like drop or landing area right next to your mouse and you put it in there. And then when you're moving around, even full screen apps, it gives you the ability to drag those back out of the, the yoink drop zone and put them in whatever app you're in. Uh, for example, if I'm working on a presentation and I have keynote open in full screen mode on my laptop and I've got a graphic that I've pulled down from the internet somewhere and I want to, and I put it, got it on my desktop, I can just drop it into Yoink and then I can easily um, scroll over to the appropriate Keynote app and then pull it out of Yoink and drop it in. You can do multiple items. Uh, it's, it's just a nice way to, uh, to manage those types of attachments. Cool. Uh, one of mine is uh, all about menus and it is called iStat Menus. It's um, from Bajango. It's $16.00. And it allows you to monitor all kinds of settings with your Mac. And again, this pops in your menu bar, so you can customize it to use all or any or a subset of the, the various things that, that it can monitor for you. So for example, right now in my menu bar, I've got it monitoring my CPU usage, which it, it takes the couple, you know the two different cores of my CPU and it, it comes up with an average of my CPU usage, which is floating right now about 20 somewhere between 19 and 21%. Um, I have it monitoring my network activity. So at a glance, I can see um, how much traffic is going up and how much traffic is coming down. And I'm using a customized battery icon where I can get detailed information about the state of my battery. And it also, it turned, instead of having a horizontal battery icon, it has a vertical battery icon. And this particular Mac at this time is plugged into an APC. So I can see um, not only the status of my max battery, but I can see the status of the APC. And I get to see things like it's 100% charged, the battery has had 24 cycles on it, it's about 98% in terms of health, the APC is fully charged. 
um, and all of that stuff. And then you can add other things like disconnectivity. You can add temperature sensors. You can add a different date and time if you want to add multiple clocks or if you want to see your calendar. There's just so many different things that you can do and monitor and see. You know, So for example, if I clicked on the network activity... I can see what my public IP address is. I can see which network interface I'm using. Um, I can see, um, you know, what what um, what applications are are sending data through the connection at this point. If I click on the CPU monitor, I can see that Skype's using most of my CPU at this point, followed by Piezo, which is what we use to record these calls. And, you know, so I can at a glance see if something's getting out of hand, I can click on there and see, okay, I've got a runaway process. So. Yeah. So, so iStat started out as a widget. You remember widgets? They still have widgets. (laughs) They still have a widget. So I'm sure they still have iStat as a widget. And then they had an app for the Mac when the app store came out called just iStat, which is an app that gives you the data. But by far, the winner, in my mind, is the menu bar, iStat menus, like Katie's talking about. And this really became even better for me with Bartender, because the problem with iStat menus is it fills up your menu bar because there's so much data that you can get from this thing. And I don't necessarily want to see it all the time, but I want to have quick access to it. So this is one of those that I put in Bartender, where I don't see it unless I activate Bartender. Yeah. How about you? Do you put this stuff on your menu bar or you put it in Bartender? No, I've got most of it in my menu bar, but you can customize it and consolidate it so you can get it pretty tight. Yeah. But I, so right now I just have battery, network, and CPU in my menu bar. All right. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, let's see what else we have here. Uh, so another mini tricks app that I like is called Desktop Curtain, and it allows you if you've got stuff on your desktop and you you're going to screencast or something, you can hide it all. Does it uh, actually put a curtain or does it just, it, um, it, it can, if you'd like, although I don't do that. I think that's one of the big selling points that I don't use. I just have it, you know, hide the stuff on the desktop. The problem is when I start doing a screencast is I do start saving some files to the desktop that are like the screencast files. And the, you know, I need to have the active files or the clip art I'm going to use or whatever, you know, I'm actually working with this stuff and I don't want it to show up when I'm doing a recording. So desktop curtain is a, is a nice app for that. Cool. Hey, hey, we've been going for a while. Let's talk about our last sponsor and, and that's hover. Hover makes domain names simple. Uh, they're a breath of fresh air in the domain name service. The uh, customers have tweeted it better than, than we can even state. Moving to Hover was like walking through a dirty closet and finding domain Narnia. Clean, simple, <laughs> no tricks, and ups, or no upselling. I've been using Hover, I mean, since before they were a sponsor of our show. And I really like the relationship with this company because, you know, the domain ownership is a big deal to me, you know, owning maxsparky.com and some of the other domains that I work on. I want to make sure that everything is handled just right. And and these people do this for me. If there's any problems, I call them and a human answers the phone. Um, They don't, you know, put me through a service where they try and upsell me with a bunch of additional services. They give me good domain services, privacy's on by default, and it just works. In addition to giving me the domain services, they also have a great email service. So I, I run the Max Sparky email and all the related email accounts through my Hover account. It's a great way to do it. Uh, they have minimal cross-sell. 
um, you know, where competitors litter their users' paths with aggressive sales pitches, Hover just helps you get the task done quickly and easily. And they've got a lot of help and everything you need on the website to make it work. If you log in, you get a very simple explanation of the, d- the domains you own, and there's it's very easy to get to the settings to make any necessary changes. Like, for instance, if you're moving over to Squarespace and you want to change the domain, I did that through Hover, and it was no problem. There's nothing fancy, just good intentions and great execution. Um, you know, Hover is part of Two Cows, which has been around since 1994, and they're one of the largest domain registers in the world. They're not a small-time company. They're a big-time company that gives you small-time service. So I really like what I get from Hover, and I do all my services through them. I'd recommend you do it as well. Yeah, I've I've moved everything over to Hover, and I could not be happier. They don't bug me. They just tell me, hey, this is up for renewal. We're renewing it if you want us to. And um, they don't upsell me, and I just... I've got my privacy. I bought my domain. The privacy is included and we're done. Never had a problem. So yeah. Love now if I could just solve my problem about buying domains, I, I continue to collect them. Yeah. They don't have a service for that yet. Yeah. But, Although they do at hover, you can sell a domain if you don't use it anymore. Uh-huh. And you can also go out and buy domains through them. So, you know, they, they've got that covered too. Hmm. Well, there is a domain that I want to buy that somebody else has. So maybe I'll have to contact them about that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks to Hover for their continued support of the show. And um, I guess let's keep going because I've got a few more in the enhancements category. And then I've got a few more kind of in this miscellaneous, I don't know what to call them category. All right. Let's do it. All right. So sticking with the enhancements category for a while, I've got an app called Jettison, which is available, I think, for it's a two bucks in the Mac App Store. And it's one that stays in my menu bar. And it's one that I don't have hidden by bartender. And it's real simple. What it does is it ejects your drives and you can specify what drives you want it to eject. Will it um, eject just um, hard drives? Will it eject CDs? Will it eject disk images? Will it eject network drives? So you can specify what drives you want it to eject. And then you can also tell it to um, eject drives when you put your computer to sleep or to remount the drives when your computer wakes up. So here's the problem specifically that this solves for me. I've got, you know, I may have a, a drive or, a, you know, specifically my my super du- my carbon copy cloner drive um, attached to my MacBook Air. But I've got my MacBook Air kind of attached in this docking configuration at my desk. Now, when I want to pick up my MacBook Air and go, I just want to be able to pick it up and go. I just want to be able to close the lid, unplug anything that's attached to it, and walk away. And inevitably, what would happen is I would get that, oh, my gosh, you've unplugged a hard drive, and now the world's going to end message. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So what this does is it will automatically eject drives before my system goes to sleep. And I don't ever have to worry about that again. So as soon as I put that lid down, the system goes to sleep. All of my external drives are ejected and the world will not end. I saved the world by using Jettison. I asked my uh, 16-year-old once, I said, are you a rebel? And she said, yeah, dad, I'm a rebel. I said, how do I know that? She says, I pull the USB drive out without ejecting it. <laughs> and uh, it made me feel good. It's like, oh, well, we can talk to each other still. There you <laughs> go. That's a great little app. The um, uh, one I really like is called Screen Float. And sometimes I have this situation where I want to get data off a bit of the screen, but 
I have too many windows on the screen and everything covers everything else up. It's like, you know, like license codes or something like that. And screen float allows you to take a picture and it, it stays at the front of the screen at all time. It sounds like a simple problem, but it really does a nice job of doing that. It's got some other nice screenshot tools involved with it, but uh, I, I thought it was worth it just for that one feature. So give me a, give me a use case when that would come in handy. Well, okay, just okay. like, you know, let's say that you just bought the, um, let's say you just bought the, the nano bundle. It's got all this software and they sent you an email that has a list of all these license codes. Right. And, and you've got a bunch of windows open on your screen and you don't have it organized in a way where you can actually see the license code. Um, and you need to type it in for some reason, you could take a screenshot of that email or, or that section with the license code. And then when you're working in the app, even full screen apps, you can see the code appear on the screen. Okay, cool. And it, and it catalogs screenshots and it lets you tag them and it lets you do a whole bunch of other things. But uh, just that the ability to put it up on top of the screen is nice. There's a lot of screenshot related apps out there. This is the one I use. Well, my next pick is Time Machine Editor, and it does something real simple. By default, Time Machine runs every hour. And although I'm a backup fiend, I was just finding that that was too often. And it was, you know, because my my MacBook Air is wireless, it was just, it was causing problems and it was kind of creating some slowdowns. So all Time Machine Editor does, and it's free, is it lets you edit the frequency of time machines and you can put it on an interval or a specific schedule. And so now my time machine backups occur every, I think it's three hours is my backup schedule, which is fine for me. It's plenty. I've got one that's kind of interesting called Flux. It's a F, it's a Stereopsis. I'm going to put the link in the show notes, but S-T-E-R-E-O-P-S-I-S dot com slash Flux. And it does an interesting thing. So if you look at your screen in the middle of the day, it looks great. But then if you look at it in the middle of the night, it's got this kind of blue glow to it. You know, it's very bright. And the idea is, you know, the screen is supposed to kind of match the light of the sun, I guess is a a way to put it. But as you go through the day, it's not as easy to look at the sun at 9 p.m. as it is to look at it at 2 p.m. So uh, it actually changes the color or the warmth level of your screen through the day. So it, it slowly gets more kind of yellowish bright during the day. And I've used this in the past and I kind of like it. And it, so if you're working late into the night, it's actually easier to work late in the night on a screen using flux than it is during the day. And I think I've done a very poor job of describing it. No, I get it. It, it changes the, the hue of the screen based on the time of day. Yeah. The color of your computer's display to adapt to the time of day. So it's warm at night and it's like the sunlight during the day. So it's really nice. It's free, and uh, I use it all the time. Somewhere Johnny Ive is coming to get you. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> um, my last one for this category is Growl Voice, and I use Google Voice all the time. And um, I, basically, what Growl Voice does is it gives me a little notification when when I've got a new voicemail or when I've got a new text. And it's it's up in my menu bar, and it gives me easy access to send texts um, through Google Voice or through Growl Voice, and that's that's pretty much it. It's quick, it's simple, 
And, you know, using Google Voice, you have to customize it through the Google Voice interface, but um, I've got it set so that certain numbers that call me go direct to voicemail. It doesn't even doesn't even ring my phone. Like when the pharmacy calls me to tell me my prescription's ready, I don't need to get that call. So I've set it to auto go to phone, and then what happens is I'll get a little text message from Growl Voice that says, yeah, your prescription is ready, or a mangled version of it that I know that that's, that, that means my prescription is ready. So. Yeah. I think it's really interesting what you're doing with your telephone. Um, I, it's hard for me because we've got like an alarm system and some other stuff. We've got to use kind of a traditional phone. But as we move into the future, the ability to automate our telephone in the way that you don't get calls from people that you don't need to bother answering the phone from, that they're just delivering a message is a really is a really great technology. And I, I'm interested in expand, expanding on that. I don't know if there's a whole show in it, but uh, it's something that I definitely want to talk to you more about. Yeah, yeah, it, it works well for me. And it's, it's just basically a way of kind of shifting my phone use. And I like yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, here's one, uh, Mac Tracker. And I don't know that this is a utility, but it's really nice uh, if you deal with Macs a lot. It's an app that has a catalog of data about all Macs that have ever been made, even uh, the startup chime sound, which is kind of fun. Uh, and uh, I use it all the time when dealing with friends and troubleshooting their Macs. They're in the yeah. App Store, and you can just download it. They even have an iOS app now. Yeah, I use it too. I didn't didn't think of it for this show, but I, it yeah. is a utility because it's a troubleshooting utility, sure. Yeah. Anything else in the enhancements category? I don't know. At this point, I'm just telling you some of the utilities I've got written down here. I yeah. can't categorize them anymore. You can't categorize. Well, that's neither could I at this point. So I made one final category that I'm calling miscellaneous. And then in parentheses, it says, I don't know what category this fits in. Yeah. So we are, we are now in the, let's call it the miscellaneous category. We could All call right. it another category. Um, this next one for me, and that's not to in any way take away from these apps. They're just, they didn't fit into any of the other categories that I created is audiobook builder. I have listened to a lot of audiobooks and I have a lot of audiobooks that were originally purchased on CD because in my previous life I drove a lot. And, um, so what this, or if, you know, the Harry Potters that I originally bought on CDs that her like. 450,000 different audio tracks in my iTunes library. Yeah, they're like three-minute audio files. Wonderful, by the way. But yeah. So what Audiobook Builder will do is it will do a couple of things. But um, you can either take CDs, which I do all the time with our, our continuing education credits we get from the bar come on CDs. So you take the CDs, you launch Audiobook Builder, you pop them in, and it will take multiple CDs and combine them and create – um, a, a .m4v file, which is the audiobook track, and it it basically makes it all pretty. You you can add cover work, you can add a title, you can add an author, and it will the output will be a one single package that's a .m4b file that you can or you know whatever you can specify the output format that you can save into iTunes. It will go correctly categorized and formatted in iTunes as an audiobook. And the beauty of that, I don't tell them I do this with my CLEs is you can now speed it up. And yeah. yeah, sometimes those people talk really slow. Yeah. You can speed it up. Although we shouldn't really be throwing those stones. Or slow it down. That's true. We shouldn't be. The um, Yeah, it's great. Harry Potter, though, real quick. Yeah. So do you do the Jim Dale ones? I did do or, the Jim Dale ones. Yeah, because Stephen Fry did them as well. And I've never listened to it, but everybody tells me the Stephen Fry ones are really good. But man, I really like Jim Dale. 
But what you do with the Harry Potters or whatever you have that you've already ripped all these CDs and now you've got the 20,000 tracks in your iTunes library is in addition to taking the CDs, you can take these tracks that you already have in your iTunes library, pull them into Audiobook Builder, and it will do the same thing. It will combine them and merge them and output them. Now, in the case of the Harry Potters, you're probably going to get a couple of files, a part one, part two, part three file, because I think the maximum output is eight or 12 hours. But instead of having 20,000 files, you're going to get four or five. Yeah. And listening to Jim Dale talk about Harry Potter feels like wrapping yourself in a warm blanket. It does while you're, while you're eating candy. Yeah. All right. That's a great app. I use it too. Um, another one that we both have written down, so I'm going to grab it right now, is Secrets. Thief. Uh yeah, Secrets is great. And I know we've talked about this on the show before, but it's it's an app that allows you to get at all those hidden system preferences. You know, all the things that there's all these snippets of code around the Internet about terminal commands to make something happen. Uh, Secrets runs almost all of those for you. So you just download Secrets and it's constantly updated and it's got a list of apps in there. And anything you want to do on your Mac that's a hidden preference, you're probably going to pull off with secrets. It's Just download it and, um, and give yourself about an hour because you're going to get really hooked on it when you start playing with it. Yeah, this is made by the people who made Quicksilver, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, another one that I'm going to steal is one we're running right now, and that's Piezo. It's available in the Mac App Store. It's 15 bucks, and it allows you to grab audio from a source. In this case, I'm recording from Skype, or I could grab it from my microphone, or I could grab it from any audio source on my Mac and record it, and that's it, and that's pretty cool. And, yeah, I can save it in a specific format. It's just really simple. Here's the source. Here's what it is. Here's the format, and here's the big red button that you click. Yeah, it's great. Fast, clean, simple, done. The... um. They just somebody just did a recording of Dave Rubeck's Take Five. It was, uh, I think, a Pakistani or an Indian uh, music school. So they were playing the Paul Desmond line on the sitar, and it's awesome. And you can't buy it, but it's on YouTube. So I used um, the piezo to make a recording so I can put it on my iPhone. Excellent. There you go. Yeah, it's great. Uh, there's one out that I've purchased on the recommendation of several people and I haven't got into it yet. And it's called trickster. Have you, are you familiar with this one? Peripherally? Yeah. Yeah. It's a menu bar app that like keeps lists of recent apps and favorite apps. It kind of gives you some of the functionality you get with, um, um, with that. What's the name of that save something, something X. Uh, default folder X default folder X. It gives you some of that functionality in your menu bar. And frankly, we should have put default folder X. Well, talk about default folder X. Go yeah, ahead. Well, it's just, it's a replacement for your save and open dialogue boxes. That's much better. I'm not writing that currently. I wonder how I got out of that. I must've done an update at some point and forgot to install it. I'm not. Are you running it? I'm not, but go ahead and talk about it. Cause I probably should be. Yeah. So, well, like I said, it's, you know, it, once you install it, when you go to open or save a document, it allows you to put um, tags in. It allows you to have a list of your favorite apps um, or favorite locations. Uh, it's per app uh, default save location. So if you've got a place you want to ser- save uh, pages files, it'll save them to there versus a place you want to pay uh, save motion files it will save it in a different place. Uh, it's just a great app. I'm I'm going to reinstall that as soon as we get done with this call. Yeah, you know, I had it installed too and then I it went away. So I'm thinking it was maybe a software update or something that got rid of it. 
Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Um, another one that I use quite frequently, and I think you do too, is called Reflector. It was formerly Reflections. And what this does is it allows you to use your Mac as basically an AirPlay receiver. And then it puts a neat little frame. So what you can do is you can, um, if you have a capable iPhone or iPad, um, stream via AirPlay your iPhone or iPad screen to your Mac. And then it will even add a um, iPad or iPhone border to it. And I use this all the time for giving presentations where I want to display something on my iPhone or my iPad. And instead of hooking, figuring out how to hook up my iPhone or my iPad to a projector, I just hook up my Mac to the projector and display the screen on there. And I know you use this quite a bit for screencasting. Yeah, all the time. All the time. Great app. Okay, last one. We're at an hour and 30 minutes, I see. Uh, Printopia. Yeah. So if you okay. want the ability to print from your your iPhone or your iPad to a printer in your house and you don't have a air print printer, you install Printopia on one of your Macs. It will act as a print server. So then when you go on your iPad, you'll see the Printopia print server attached to it. You print to it and it automatically happens. It's a great, great app. All right. Last one for me, log me in and you can use it practically free for the basic functionality. Everything that I'm talking about, you can do for free. And I just set up my grandfather with an iMac. He got my dad's hand-me-down iMac. And he's been having a couple issues. I think it's primarily related to the ISP that he has at his house. And he's been having lots of email issues. And he doesn't really do a real good job of keeping it updated. And it's kind of hard for me to get out there as often as I should. And his, his internet connection is good enough for screen sharing, but slow and such that if I were to go over there and run all the software updates, I'd have to sit for a couple of hours. So what I'll do is I'll very commonly log into his machine, do what I need to do, log out, let the software updates run, come back the next morning and, and do whatever else I need to do. So I'm, I'm using LogMeIn to remotely manage a couple of Macs and provide technical support for various family members and works great. Well, Katie, that was a lot of apps. It was. And keep in mind, this is not meant to be a deep dive. We may at some point do a deep dive on some of these apps and maybe all of them. We've got content for the next 12 years of Mac Power users if we do that. Yeah. <laughs> but they're fun <laughs> apps. And, uh, you know, one of the great things about the Mac App Store is that it made it possible for people to make a lot of these apps and make money on them, you know, make it uh, commercially viable for them to do this stuff. And so now we've got this great, rich abundance of small little utility apps to make our lives better. So check some of these out. Uh, let us know your favorites and, and enjoy. Yeah. We're going to try to have links to everything we talked about in the show notes. You can find those at www.macpowerusers.com or at five by five TV slash MPU slash one, three, four for this episode. You can send us feedback to feedback at macpowerusers.com. And you can also send us feedback on Twitter to at macpowerusers or Katie's at Katie Floyd and I'm at Max Sparky. Yeah. And um, I think that's about all we have to talk about. We love iTunes comments. We're getting close to 500 if you want to help push us over that edge. So if you want to pop onto iTunes and leave a comment. And uh, otherwise, I think we'll, we'll see you all next week.